get my cards ready. Got a lot of cards this week. Huge stack of cards. I've written a lot of cards. All right. Hello, I'm Max Temkin. I'm Patrick Klepek. And this is Rewatch Podcast. This week we're watching episode eight of Lost Solitary. This episode of Rewatch Podcast is brought to you by Igloo. Igloo is an internet you will actually like. Are you feeling deserted in your job? Is collaboration with the others failing? Igloo's cloud intranet platform makes it easy to stay connected at work. It's built using easy-use apps like file sharing, blogs, shared calendars, task management to unite your office. You can sign up using Igloo for free at igloosoftware.com slash lost. How you doing, Patrick? I'm good. You, we've had... That reference to the others I in know, this in this thing for a couple episodes, even though this episode is the first time that that is actually mentioned. I was just thinking that <laughs> now everyone who's watching the podcast gets the reference in the igloo uh, ad copy. Um, man, what a good episode! This was a good one. Remember how you remember last week? You didn't remember what this episode was? No, 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 no. And then it immediately like all came back just because it's such a day. It's such a defining episode in terms of expanding the scope of what the show what the island is right it's yeah. it's a very island centric uh show even if it's you know it's about two characters really um and their interactions and finding each other but man yeah it's it's one of those that when you really start thinking about it it like the show could go anywhere from there and it's god just i i remember watching this episode and having the same reaction as Saeed when he sees the cable just going what the fuck is a cable doing there going to the ocean? Yeah. That one of that is one of my we we shouldn't get too much into this yeah, yeah, yeah. follow up, but man, what a good lost moment. Just all that for me, top ten favorite lost moments, the the little end of that first sequence. Um yeah. we'll we'll come back to that. Yeah. I'll um, hold my excitement. All right, so let's do some follow up. Um oh you got you do this first one. This one's too cool. Uh, this comes from James. It says, got my first tattoo and it's from Lost. Wanted to get it for a while and the podcast pushed me over the edge. Thanks. That's super cool. It was really cool. Uh, so we have a photo of the tattoo. It is a photo of uh, the numbers, which we have not uh, learned about yet in the show, but it's a really important piece of the Lost mythology. It's a season, season one. We're not that far from off from, from Yeah, there, from there's, I don't think there's like any spoilers. There's no spoilers uh, in it. It's just a, a reference that people won't necessarily get yet. Um, but uh, we'll put a, a picture of that James's tattoo in the show notes, which are available at rewatchpodcast.com. Um, That's really cool. Way to go, James. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, you do this one from Mark. I really want to do the last one. You okay. do this one from Mark. Uh, so Mark writes, uh, the thing that strikes me the most is almost all the good, cool, memorable moments I remember from the show seem to have happened in season one and season two. I can only remember a few specific scenes from later seasons. That leaves me wondering what they did for all those seasons. Am I remembering wrong or do you feel the same uh, based on what you've seen up to now? Uh, yeah, we've mostly experienced this in the spoiler section when we're trying to scrape our brains for the connective tissue that explains a lot of the, the stranger stuff that happens in the show in later seasons. But I, I don't think it's crazy at all to, you know, to really just feel like season one and season two are where you have like the biggest moments. Cause I think it's the, the show continues to go to some really amazing places, has some incredible moments as it goes on. But like, yeah, like it, things when they are shiny and new and are first being explained and the show itself is still finding its sea legs uh, is really fun to watch and it's fun for the viewer. So I, you know, I don't think it's really shocking that most of your big impressions kind of stick from the early parts of the show as well. Um, I so the thing that that I thought about when I saw this email is like I was imagining like the the 
graph of my lost watching and it's kind of like a pyramid because inevitably like before lost would come back on the air after a you know summer break i would go back and watch all the previous seasons to like get excited about it so i it's like on the bottom of the period pyramid i've seen season one 10 times right? yeah to get sure. ready for every season and i've seen season two like one time less than that and season three one time less than that so by the end i've seen season one and two so much and i've seen the later seasons very little actually i haven't gone back to watch probably five and six i never yeah i never i never rewatched the last uh season of the show which is so i'm excited to actually do that to see uh i had mixed feelings about the narrative conceits they made in the in the last season um i'm not sure how that would change when you go back but yeah i think you're actually totally right that there probably is a little bit of when you're rewatching it you're rewatching it and and sort of committing that more to memory but it's also you know it's these early moments where the show you're figuring you're trying to see where the limits are like what is the box of this show and it's like a moment with the cable not to go you know back to that immediately again where you realize oh the line has just been pushed out a little bit further like what i thought this show was what i thought we were going to be exploring like oh no there's a lot more that this could possibly be about you know it's like it starts as a survival show and then very quickly especially in this episode begins to expand the ramifications of what the show could be dealing with in, in really exciting ways. So, I mean, the, yeah, it, like, because as the show goes on, it becomes about filling in the gaps. And right now, we're just figuring out what we're even thinking about uh, or how you should even view the show, as opposed to, you know, four, five, and six, where it's like, you know, it gets very much about give us answers. Like, right now, you don't care what the answers are. You're just, it's really fun to ask the questions. Yeah, I have, um, I would also draw an analogy to one of my favorite video game franchises, the Mass Effect series, because I have very similar feelings to that, like in the whole structure as I do to Lost. Mm -hmm. I'm like, Mass Effect 1 is one of my favorite games the best of, Mass Effect. Of, of all time. It, right, and it really plays with your expectations. Like, you start off as, as a soldier, and by the end of the game, you're, you become this really important person in the universe and in the, in the meta narrative and the, the whole, you know. You, once the, the story of the universe is sort of built out over that first game, like you see your place in it and it's really cool. And the subsequent games aren't as fun because you're just sort of revisiting the places from the first game and they have to check in with every character and you have to go back to all the places. And it was so much more fun in Mass Effect 1 when anything could happen. And like every time they make the world bigger and you realize that you're more important in it, you're, it was so gripping and exciting. Like it was such a great sci-fi story. I feel very similarly about Lost of like season one and two is when... It, it, it's the it's when you have that feeling of anything could happen. The stakes are so high that you know you you can't wait to see what happens with these characters and how big the island gets and how big the show gets. And then three is more of like a like a a, a, a status season. And then four and five are more about winding down. They're more about the you know and it's setting up an end game, right? Like yes. so, there's there's a lot of chess pieces that are being moved with the very explicit purpose of you know, heading in a direction that they, you know, they figure out at the end of season three when, like, you know, for folks that are already, you know, ahead of us in terms of watching the show, like, there's a very, you know, there's very clearly a moment in season three when the show creatively gets back on track, and it's, you know, it's not a surprise that that lines up with when they negotiated an end date for the show. And, uh, yeah, season three, man, cages. Yeah. Fuck. Um, okay, this is my favorite follow-up of the week. Um <coughs> That'll get edited out. Um, this is from Chris. Chris writes, I really enjoyed your episode about Sawyer last week, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on the comparison between Sawyer and the Game of Thrones character and fan favorite Jamie Lannister. 
Both characters appear at first to be self-serving assholes, but we quickly learn that for each of them, much of this behavior is really just the characters behaving in a way uh, that they think everyone expects them to. Sawyer's made out early to be a bad guy by the other members of the island, which is sort of his fault in the first place, but he decides to meet their low expectations. Jamie takes a similar turn, basically deciding that he's going to be the dick that everyone thinks he is. Hmm. Um, I thought that was a great comparison. I mean, I think those are two... So we'll, we'll try not to spoil either show here uh, if, you're, if you're not a Game of Thrones fan. Uh, but, um, you know, both of those characters are really challenging, and they're very, they both feel like very modern television characters, characters that you couldn't have uh, as major characters on a TV show even just, just uh, you know, 20 years ago. It would have been, like, unthinkable to have someone like Sawyer on TV as a main character and an ensemble member that you were supposed to, like, relate to. Well, it's, 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 it's uncommon to have... You know, like antiheroes are a relatively recent phenomenon. The right. idea of, an, you know, an ostensibly bad character that you also kind of root for because, you know, you know, characters like Dexter on television, like you know, you're rooting for a serial killer. Like well, it's you, a, it's a post Tony Soprano yes. character mold. I think of they're going to take this guy and and despite his flaws, usually a guy too. I feel like in these scenarios, but they're going to take this guy and despite his flaws, they're going to sort of challenge you to like him. And then they're going to put continue to to push the character in places that make you um, really uncomfortable as the viewer. So I think like Breaking Bad is probably the best example of this. You watch of, it happen in slow motion, yeah. right? Like mo- like mo- most shows don't have the don't set that up as their the narrative arc is the destruction of a good person as they become bad. We see that in more broad strokes, even at Lost and stuff like that, because it's an ensemble show and. Uh, yeah, I think it makes – yeah, it does make it really challenging as the viewer because – it makes it probably fun as a writer where you set someone up and they can constantly just kind of like trip them. And, and Sawyer is the character that does that constantly. Even in this episode, there's like a lot of evolution that happens with Sawyer as a character. Yeah, it's, it's, it comes back to a thing we talked about last week of giving the character from the previous week's flashback like a great little moment in yep. the series. They had, Sawyer has such a good moment in this series. It's a total little throwaway story, but we'll we'll get to that. But but what a, what says, said really made me sympathize with him in a way that even last week I wasn't ready to like give him any any yeah benefit of the doubt as a character. And Jamie Lannister is exactly that way. Like as you yeah. learn more about the Lannister family, you, you come to you know not necessarily well you know you come to like you sympathize with him. It's like yeah okay you've done some horrible things you know you are a Kingslayer, but. Uh, he, there's a lot more to him that like even like it's more interesting to learn about uh, why good people become bad than it is to watch like we've seen we've seen a lot of redemption arcs so it's more interesting to see kind of the reverse yeah and those so the other broad big similarity between those characters they're both kind of tragic characters and what's tragic about them is that in their lives they're both victims of circumstance things have happened in their lives that they never asked for. And that the thing that they're most known for, the reason that they're powerful, is the is the same thing that they're ashamed of in themselves, right? right? So Jamie Lannister didn't. I mean, if uh, this is now getting, I think, even into the the nerdiness of the books, but there's a lot more to the Kingslayer story than than it appears in the mm. popular version that everyone knows. Um, he's sort of thrust into that position and never wanted it, and that's how well, that is hit the source of his whole identity. But it's also a thing that he hates about himself. Um, and the same for Sawyer. Like, he never asked to be Sawyer. He never asked to be a con man, but he's sort of this 
very tragic like victim of circumstances of, him, of his life and winds up you know adopting the Sawyer persona and the thing that gives him his power and, and authority and makes him uh, such a powerful character on the island is the same thing that he doesn't like about himself and, and those same tragic like like beginnings of his when he, he, they, they, they're both characters that use the tragedies that were thrust upon them as justifications for their own behavior right yeah. where where Sawyer will not move on will not uh, conform and he is okay with that because oh well woe is me right like he keeps around a goddamn note <laughs> with him all the time and the way he like a child shoves it in Kate's face and asks her to read it it's like come on man like you're I, yes boohoo horrible thing happened to you but you know he's like you're a man in like your mid late 30s like what are you doing but you know for Sawyer that's it's it's the thing that defines him and the thing that he can't move on from and 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 in that respect, they're both they're, they're loners. It's especially interesting when they're loners thrust into a group situation, um, where like so- Sawyer ostensibly wants to be by himself, but you know constantly finds himself in situations with other people, and he he doesn't quite know how to deal. But um, all right, I don't understand this last follow up. You're gonna have to do this one. Oh yeah, okay. So on, I've been trying to do random trivia on uh, the Twitter account uh, at Rewatch Podcast, and the one that I put out. A couple of days ago, let me pull it up. Was uh, so Josh Holloway, who plays Sawyer, uh, when it, like before he became you know like broke out mostly due to Lost. Uh, he was in the Aerosmith video for Crying, where he plays a thief that goes after Alicia Silverstone's purse. <laughs> uh, and then some other people started chiming in on the Twitter account with uh, other things he did earlier uh, in his career. And uh, Andy uh, Webb pointed out that uh, he's also the first vampire to get killed in the cold open of the first episode of the TV series Angel. You, did you ever get into Angel or Buffy? Or I try. I watched uh, the first season of Buffy, and it was all right, but I, it just didn't grip me the way that it has. And I, 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 I love Joss Whedon, like I, but I've just never been able to get into any of his television products. I couldn't get into the Dollhouse either, and I've never seen Firefly. I, we have talked about how we might solve that in the future, but uh, yeah, I, I, I understood why Buffy was interesting, like theoretically. Um, I just didn't <clears> quite get into it. I. I recognize that Buffy is like one of the great TV series and I've tried to get into it because it's on all the lists of, of these amazing, uh, you know, all time best TV series. I can't do it. It's so campy and I, everyone looks the same and I, I just don't care about them. And I want, and I, I wonder if that's a show that you kind of had to love in the moment. And then a lot of the respect for it is like due to its place in time in television, right? Like it's where it's, it's, a, it's a campy show with a lot of heart and, you know, whereas you know shows like Lost, uh, Breaking Bad, Mad Men, like you know, have these interesting characters and and stories that that go to some really crazy places. Uh, like Buffy was kind of weaving that stuff into a you know a, a sort of campy television show. So I don't know. I I appreciate what it did for television, but I'm I'm with you, and I was just never quite able to to get into it. And, 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 and so obviously, I did not watch Angel either because that was a spinoff. <laughs> Okay, well, let's um, go to our interview. We have a really cool interview this week. We are talking to philosophy bro about Rousseau, about the philosopher Jean-Jacques Rousseau, and we're going to see if we can sort of find any connections between the real philosopher and the Rousseau character. All right, so we are joined by by the philosophy bro, proprietor of philosophybro.com. Is that accurate? Yeah, how's it going, guys? Good. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining us. So um, I, I asked to talk to you this week 
um, because uh, you are one of my favorite um, writers about uh, philosophy and especially one of my favorite explainers about philosophy. And this week we are watching um, an episode of Lost about a new character in the series named Rousseau. And I thought it would yeah, be. Yeah, that name rings a bell. Um, <laughs> I thought it would be appropriate to get a, just like a little primer on who was Rousseau the philosopher. Um, but maybe first, do you, can you tell us a little bit about Philosophy Bro? Like, wh- how did it get started? What is it? Sure. Philosophy Bro was. It started in around December of 2010. And it's essentially, I just write uh, summaries and commentary on questions that readers send in or on like important historical works uh, that make them more accessible and in like a, this sort of what I think is the most normal way to talk, which is this incredibly, people have told me, a very bro-y uh, patois, but <laughs> it seems totally normal to me. So I just explain things the way they can Like how normal explained. people might talk about them in 2014. Yeah. I mean, like, it's sort of like we were, we were when, when Max was telling me about the project, uh, it's sort of like, like when you read Shakespeare and you're not used to the language, it's like you can appreciate the characters and stories in the abstract, but that it's really distracting to read it if you're not used to the vernacular. So then you end up not being able to appreciate it because you're just trying to get through the barrier of how they speak. Yeah, there's a bunch of problems going on there. That's one of them is that there's like just this existing language where philosophers are like, yeah, we've been saying the same shit to each other for 200 years. We got some words that we like. The other problem is some philosophers are just fucking terrible writers. <laughs> yeah, full, full, so full, full disclosure, like, I, so I was a philosophy major. I'm a huge philosophy nerd, and this is, uh, I don't know how much we're going to learn about Rousseau, the lock, uh, or the uh, lost, Rousseau or Locke, the lost characters from, like, learning about the, the, their namesakes, but I just thought it'd be a really cool opportunity to, to bring some of those ideas into Lost and how they, you know, translate in general. And also Lost, I think, has a lot to say about human nature and the state of nature and all of that, so we'll, we'll get into that in a minute, but... Um, we also yeah. thought our podcast wasn't niche enough, so we thought, let's talk about philosophy. Yeah, for the f- uh, four people who are still listening uh, <laughs> halfway through the, uh, the, the season, um, yeah, we thought we would completely alienate them. But yeah, the thing, so I found philosophy blow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, uh, I found, uh, I, I first began more philosophy bro on like the philosophy subreddit, which is a, an awful, a horrible, a truly horrible, terrible place where lots of things are talked about that are not philosophy, mostly undergrads trying to get people on Reddit to do their homework for them. And they've spun off another subreddit for that, and it's still just like, oh, this is a pretty basic question. Good talk. Oh, yeah. That's really smart to just ask it on Reddit. Oh, right. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to applaud these people. And, and I, I think that's, that's a good idea. I would have done that. What's really devious is you can almost always get the best answers out of people by instead of asking, like, did what did Kant believe? You just guess, and you're like, Kant believe this. And people are like, no, that's completely wrong. Oh, like, here's wow! an essay. Oh, using it all. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, so that's the subreddit. But um, so the, the philosophy bro account kind of be, grew out of these conversations, and it was 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 the Heidegger being in time the first post? No, the very very first post was someone just came on to the subreddit and was like, "Hey, can someone explain?" The myth of Sisyphus using words like fuck and bro and dude. And I was like, you didn't even need to add that last part. That's how I was going to explain that. Yeah. So I did. And everyone kind of lost their shit over it. And were like, you should do this all the time. So I did the allegory of the cave the next day. Plato's allegory of the cave. And that went to like the front page of Reddit uh, on day like two of the blog. So really auspicious beginnings for philosophy, bro. And it was it was great because it was a great character. Like it was it was the character was this guy who clearly knows a lot about philosophy, but his only frame of reference in the world is bro things like raging hard and like drinking natty lights and you know 
I don't know, just all any sort of typical obnoxious like bro behavior. That's like all this character has to make sense of his world. I, uh, um, I don't know what you mean by character, but <laughs> uh, so where, where where did where did you draw from? Do you have any personal experience with the bro lifestyle? Yeah, so I just there are like two or three actual bros in my life that I picture explaining <laughs> things to whenever I whenever I have to write like a particularly dense passage. Like I remember I remember once a football player coming like into my room and being like, Hey yo, I heard you're pretty good at explaining philosophy. <laughs> and I was like this is like before the site even took off. I was like, Yeah, I I uh I guess and he was like, Yo, dog, what the fuck is Descartes on about? <laughs> I was um, like, oh, buddy, just have a seat. So, like, I picture that interaction when I need to, like, yeah, dude, have a seat. Let me explain this thing that I'm writing about. Um, but the thing that was that I think made Philosophy Bro sticky, because there's a lot of these sort of dumb characters and novelty accounts on Reddit, was the philosophy was really good. So on the occasion when you would write about something that I had studied or knew something about, so the one that caught my eye was, like, the, the being in time um, post explaining Heidegger's being in time uh, like a bro – it was really good. It was one of the most cogent explanations of of Heidegger I had ever come across, and it was also extremely readable and funny. And uh, it just occurred to me of like, this is this is amazing. Like, I don't know why more people aren't aren't tr- you know at the time it was it was such a breath of fresh air of like why isn't everyone trying to do philosophy like this? And now I think it's been a couple of years. Uh, is it like how old is the blog? Yeah, so it's about four years old now. And there's there's still no really no one who's doing it at least not not at the level of of the peak of the blog right. You mean doing things in that? Style well, well, or? just explaining philosophy in like a clear and and funny and understandable way. I think uh, Thug Notes just launched a series of videos. Okay. That uh, people have expressed the same sorts of things that you're talking about, which is like these are funny, but the philosophy behind them isn't necessarily super good, and that was always really really important to me. And uh, so the times that I, like, wasn't posting and I don't have time to update, the reason is because, like, I'm not sure I can 100% guarantee, like, or have the time to really do the research. And that's what's most important to me is, like, getting everything right. All right. Well, let's get some uh, 18th century political philosophy right. Oh, yeah. Who was Jean-Jacques Rousseau? So Rousseau was a thinker writing at around the same time as, like, Thomas Hobbes and John Locke, two of his maybe, like, more famous contemporaries. Uh, he was a, a French dude. He was the son of a watchmaker in Geneva and a woman who died giving birth to him. So we don't know a lot about her because 18th century women. And he was he was maybe most famous for his political thought, but he, he did some pretty sprawling stuff. Like he talked a lot about education and about music theory, and uh, he wrote about political philosophy. Um, what So... I guess I my really my only under, my only knowledge of Rousseau, and I'm guessing this is true for a lot of people, was from Poli Sci 101. Mm-hmm. So you generally start Poli Sci 101 with like Locke, Rousseau, Hobbes, and that's sort of like the boring abstract part, and then they teach you the interesting things that you actually want to know about political philosophy. Mm-hmm. Um, but do you think is is Rousseau an interesting philosopher? Like, is there is there something contemporary and and lively in Rousseau's philosophy? Rousseau was a, like a really good writer and a, a really interesting guy. And I think in his in his political philosophy, so his political philosophy is more utopian than almost any of his contemporaries. Like he had this really optimistic view of human nature, 
but he thought that like we had just gotten so far away from this optimistic view of human nature that we just had like this long, a long, long way to go. Uh, so his discussion of like he spent a lot of time thinking about how we can get from this really fallen, fucked up state we find ourselves in back to a more utopian human nature sort of view. So, so this far, like at this point in the season of Lost that we're watching, um, I, I, you haven't seen Lost, I know, so I'll, but no. you, you probably know that just from pop culture, you kind of sure. picked up on the big points of like, there's a plane crash and this, this sort of disparate group of people who was on the plane, there are some survivors of the plane crash and they're on this mysterious island. Um, and at least in, in the first season of the show, it's very much like a survival situation. Mm-hmm. And you start to learn about these characters through flashbacks in their lives. And one of the, the games the show is playing with you as you're meeting all these characters for the first time is, like, are these people good or bad? And then is their view of the other people on the island that these people are fundamentally good or bad? Um, so it seems like at least like a really... Uh, and, and there is also like a character named... Uh, Locke. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's a Hobbs. We never meet a Hobbs, is there? No. Um, Shit would get real fucked up if Hobbs came. Yeah, yeah right? And, um, but do you... So, so trying, to, trying to figure out like where, where some of these political philosophies like, might connect to, law, uh, to Lost, do you, should we maybe get into like, some of the, the, like, the really basic like, like the you know, fundamental human nature stuff, like the noble savage stuff for Rousseau and maybe some of the, the Locke stuff as well? Yeah, we can, talk, uh, we can talk about that. So that might be a good place to start. If the problem sort of at first pass, like in the first season, what you're getting is a whole bunch of people on an island, a bunch of shit's going on, and there, isn't, there aren't really any like existing institutions, right? So they have to build those institutions mm-hmm. from scratch. State of nature, this was a huge concern for philosophers at the time. Uh, Rousseau, Locke, Hobbes all wrote about the state of nature. And didn't what, they? Didn't they? They also. Uh, I remember they, they wrote a lot about like feral children. Like everyone in the in the 18th century was obsessed with this idea of like feral children. Of like <laughs> what would happen if like a child like was just like grew up alone in the woods. Like would he have language? Would he be a good person? Would he have morals? Oh, like what happens if they're separated from like society and it's, and it's yeah. Influence? I mean, it was oh, like sure. a thought. It was a thought experiment, but people would have these like intense arguments over it, and they were just everyone was obsessed with feral, Jungle Book, feral children. Yeah, yeah, right. Like it's it gets at the really important question in a way that, and it's like a vivid enough explanation it's like well what if a kid just grew up with wolves and it's like that seems you're putting a lot of very (laughs) specific detail into this thought experiment are you sure that's really what's important uh but yeah everyone was really concerned about like hey what would happen or what were people like before there were governments and shit because it didn't seem to anyone like yeah no we've just always had governments all the time and their view of how people were before there were governments is really important to how they think we should arrange institutions Rousseau had probably the most optimistic view of what people were like before there were institutions of any sort. So, so Tom, just to put a little like history on it, so Ho- Thomas Hobbes is probably the first like um, major modern political philosopher in this debate, right? And Hobbes is is a, is a super pessimistic philosopher, right? Yeah, as far as human nature goes, Hobbes just thinks like everyone is just going to try and fuck. Everyone else up all the time, constantly. Everyone's yeah. the, at the war state, with It's like else. the state of nature is like red and tooth and claw, and it's the war of all against all. And does, is, Life one is says, nasty, brutish, and short. Much like myself. Yeah. yeah. Oh, is that where that comes from? Yeah. Yeah. Life hmm. is nasty, brutish, and short. That's why I call my penis the Leviathan. <laughs> <laughs> um, so for Hobbes, like the Leviathan is the power structure of the government, and he's like without the, the Leviathan, without some sort of like people opting into some sort of structure of power, 
people are, it's just chaos. It's, it's just the war of everyone against everyone else. Even more, the Leviathan is, it's a power structure and it's a highly concentrated power structure where everyone agrees to follow these laws and then it's just an absolute rule. Like, if you pick a guy, if you pick a king, whatever the fuck that king says goes and deal with it because, trust me, it was going to be way worse otherwise. So does he want to spend the first night with a woman when she gets married? Maybe. But it was going to be worse. <laughs> it was going to be worse anyway, right? So, like, no matter how bad it is, Hobbes is like, and you're welcome. Thank you, sir. May I have another is the proper response to the live <laughs> So I guess in terms of the show, you know, the establishment of Jack as the leader is, like, their first step in establishing any sort of structure to what they have found themselves in this situation on this island where they and, – and Jack is thrust into this role not because he wants it but because he's the most useful – uh, tool amongst them, which is he's a doctor, uh, right. and he's got he's got like okay. strong values. So that's like the first step that this disparate group of people takes to say we need someone to make a decision on what we're going to do, and it's the exact idea. It's like it's going to be chaos unless we have someone that says that's what we should do today. This is what we need to be focusing on, and Jack becomes that sort of structure. Yeah, and so okay, so you've got Hobbes on one side, very pessimistic. Right. You've got Rousseau on the other side, very, very optimistic very about optimistic. human nature. Where does Locke fall on the continuum? Locke is probably the like between the two. He seems to be the most realist, right? So Rousseau's view of human nature is this optimistic, like do 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 do, like just naked people frolicking <laughs> and feeding themselves, and they have enough to get by, but they can start discovering ways to better their situation or do things more easily. And as they start discovering ways to better the situation, they also start cooperating. And and like at first the advantage of cooperation is just is the only thing about cooperation. It's just advantages. Things are easier, division of labor, that happens, it's great, but eventually these sort of structures get big and unwieldy and people start exploiting them in ways that weren't foreseen when we started. So for Rousseau, we would have been fine on our own. We were slightly better off when we were cooperating a little, and then as we started cooperating more, that's when shit really gets bad, and so it's these institutions that create problems. And that's the we don't we get the phrase the social contract from from Rousseau, right? He wrote a book called The Social Contract. Okay. Yeah, it's yeah. like his impo- most important work of political philosophy. And and where does that fall in? Like, is the social construct is that uh, like a like a um, is it meant to be like like the the thing that's our downfall, or is it a more utopian vision of a government? It's kind of both of those. So our downfall is that we start to form these institutions and like groups of people cooperating that we don't have like control over or that are just they get too big and unwieldy. And he thinks like so there's no hope of going back. Right? We're kind of stuck with these governments of people. Like no one's going to go back to just everyone just do their own thing and get by. Like, indoor plumbing is too good. (laughs) We're not willing to give that shit up to go back to, like, no one has power over anyone else. So instead, we have to, since we have to have these governments of some sort, we need to come up with ways to arrange them so that, like, people can return to being more free and absent of coercion. And so we need to somehow recapture this initial sense of, like, there's enough for everyone and no one has to be, like, no one has... um, no one's exercising power to get people to do things that they don't want to do. So it's much more of like a, a soft power m- model of cooperation than than the Leviathan, which is like a very hard power right. model. The Leviathan is like one dude in charge. He tells you what to do very top down. 
for Rousseau, the ideal government is something like like literally just self-governance and not even like a Republican democracy where you send people to the Capitol and they vote for you. Like everyone's involved. The citizenry as a whole deliberates and they pass laws that are in uh, so sort of the collective will or the in line with what he calls the general will. And the general will is this sort of emergent, transcendent will that everyone wills what's best for themselves. And since we're all people, what is best for ourselves is best for, like, everyone else in the abstract. And so this general will sort of emerges from direct self-governance of the people, and the laws are in line with that. Like, there'll just be a natural agreement that comes out of a discourse, and then that's that's how that gets chosen? That's the rule, right. Everyone mm. agrees, like, so let's just talk. Let's just talk this shit out. And we all agree, like, here's what it seems like we all want. Any ideas about how to make that happen? Okay, that's a pretty good one, Jim. Mike, what do you have? <laughs> okay, that's okay. Sarah, what do you... Okay, that's really good. So everyone likes what Sarah's got, and everyone's like, yeah, that seems in line with what we all agree is best for us and so this general consensus emerges does he have like how does he respond to the criticism of what if there is no general consensus he thinks that the absence, or there, he thinks there, it, it just would occur regardless he totally gets that that's a problem right so his solution there is something like we need more virtuous citizenry this is how things would go if everyone was like properly trained and if everyone gave right, a shit and was knowledgeable on the issues and, and we sure. all agreed, like, don't be a dick. Like, no one here is evil. Let's all just cooperate in a spirit of fraternity and, and common humanity. But he, he totally gets, like, that's not at all how things are. And so his political philosophy, in addition to being utopian, is very, like, bootstrappy. Hmm. Like, he, he's constantly, he's really concerned with practical ways to get back to that state. Hmm. So he has this idea of the legislator, which, like, like capital L, like, a guy who would inspire the citizenry to like get back to their ideals. He would inspire them to look past themselves and to make laws that are for the common good. And at first it might be for like non-rational reasons. It might just be because they're like, yeah, we're inspired and do it for this ideal. And over time they start to realize that like, oh, these ideals are what's good for us and good for each other. And then the reasons for obeying the collective, uh, this collective ideal or this general will become, like, more rational. Mm. But he totally sees the problem of, like, how do we get from everyone's a dick to no one's a dick? Because that's a, that's a tough one. So just to um, jump to another, um, probably, I think, I think in a modern context, like a pretty strong criticism of Rousseau, can you talk about the, the noble savage and kind of explain that idea? Sure. So the noble savage is his idea of the state of nature, right? It's this guy, it's us before there were any institutions and we have the ability to like improve ourselves and to seek out what we need and to get what we need. But we live basically just above like a subsistence level, right? Like we know how to find caves and feed ourselves and protect ourselves from the elements, but we live like a very simple bare minimum. It's a life that we now would consider like, right? Like savage, just living in a cage, eating raw meat, shitting in the woods, how barbaric. But for this guy, it's all he really needs. All of his needs are taken care of. And his needs are like bodily needs, 
It's just living. Like it's it's, just, it's not about an enjoyable life. It's just right. living life. Is, is the noble savage like as Rousseau writes about him solitary, like like on their own? Are Most they of, of the community? time. Okay. Sometimes people interact with each other, and that's that's when like we reproduce, and we occasionally like might run into another person while hunting and be like, "Hey, you wanna." Can we together? And then they this do, and then they It's very up. like Cormac McCarthy's The Road. Like, right. it's just like, yeah. That's exactly, it's like, yeah. everyone's on their own. Occasionally they run into each other and they're like, can we, for like two minutes, be bros? And then yeah. like, all right, good job. You were really good there on the, with the spear. And he's like, oh, it was all you with the other spear. And then they go their separate ways. Um, so before we wrap up, you've got this this uh, um, incredible tiny grid of notes in front of you. Is, was there anything else uh, that you found when, when you were reading up on Rousseau that you thought was was interesting or, or um, would would be applicable to to our uh, watching a, a network television show? Right. So I think the really interesting, like the thing that's probably going to be most important, is like this Rousseau character. And I'm just spitballing here. Like it's going to be really interesting to see how his conception of the other people turns out to be accurate and turns out to be like inaccurate and the ways in which he fails to predict how they are or otherwise. And it's also going to be important, like how exactly we arrange these institutions of like a bunch of people on on an Island trying to survive. We've picked a leader. Now, where do we go from here? Is that just it? Is this Jack guy just in charge forever? Or can we find a way to make it so that everyone kind of agrees and gets over their own bullshit and we all come together and, are better. And the historical Rousseau would push for something like that ladder where like we have a leader for now, he inspires us, he makes decisions, he gets things done. But as we get a sense of our surroundings and how we're able to cooperate and what our different roles are, eventually we all just kind of govern by consensus and everything turns out great. And things uh, don't turn out great, but that's kind of how Lost operates. (laughs) Right. Well, wow, um, that's there's so much in there that's going to be uh, yeah that um, is that is directly applicable to all sorts of stuff yeah. that plays out throughout the show. Wow, and if there's a, this lot character is probably going to be like, all right, dude, we'll see how that goes, but we should probably have some rules and some checks and balances. And Rousseau's like, no, we just just everyone be cool about it. I, I only wish Lost took that strong a point of view on those characters' outlooks uh, and committed to it through uh, yeah. six seasons of TV. Um, so, Philosophy Bro, thank you so much for uh, joining us on the podcast. Thanks we're, for having me, You've guys. got some, some really cool projects coming up. Um, one of them we're, we're working on together. Where can people follow your, your work and, and the new stuff that you've got going on? So, the site is just philosophybro.com. Uh, it's been a while since I've updated because I just haven't had time to get things right. And I'm really looking forward to relaunching that, getting it up and running here uh, pretty soon. And you can also follow me on Twitter, at philobro. That's P-H-I-L-O. BRO uh, for updates about my site and about upcoming projects and really stupid philosophy jokes. And if people wanted to kind of jump in or, or maybe they don't know a lot about philosophy, but they're looking for like a good start or to get into your work, um, what's the what's the best place to to start on, on your site? The Allegory of the Cave is still one of my most popular posts. It's the thing that most like people will most likely have read outside the context of philosophy, and it you know goes all the way back to some of the earliest pieces of philosophy we have, right? Plato writing about Socrates. So that's a really good place to start. Uh, some of the Mailbag Monday posts are just general essays on questions. So if any of those titles on my site, there's a link to like a full list of everything. And if any of those titles look like things that they're interested in, that's as good a place to start as any. 
Cool. Thanks yeah. so much for joining us. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Um, all right. Well, let's let's get into the episode. So, first thing from this episode is just that moment. So it starts off with Sawyer kind of walking the beach, exploring the island, and I was so Saeed. excited. Saeed, God, Saeed. Uh, uh, I was like, did I miss something? Did I? Yeah, I missed no, the no, first no, no, five no. seconds of the episode. Yeah. Um. So it starts off with. Saeed, just like walking, walking down the coast, exploring the island. And that's kind of, for me, like I was so excited when I saw that for the first time because it's the thing you want to happen since the pilot of like, could someone just go out and like look around <laughs> and like figure out how big is the island? What's it look like? You know, is there, can you find any more stuff? Like, well, you know, yeah. like every time they go five steps into the jungle, like some weird shit happens. So you just, you, you're, you're dying for that as the viewer. And you understand why the characters, they have other concerns. They, there is a invisible, seemingly invisible monster patrolling uh, that is capable of like tearing uh, men in half. So the characters have like justifiable reasons to not going and explore, but there is clearly weird stuff happening. I want to I wanna know what's out there. Yeah. So it's just immediately you're like, oh, this is going to be good. And then like what 30 seconds into the episode you have this the the really really nice score moment of the Saeed theme plays mm-hmm. and then that kind of gives into this really intense piece of music this really like iconic intense piece of music for lost that's that's called Danielle's theme and that's when Sawyer sees this Saeed. chord Saeed god mm. That's when Saeed sees this chord coming I'm just getting excited coming up through the ocean and going into the jungle um, and that sort of uh, sets up um, um, his main story. So should, should we do the, the Saeed stuff and then everyone else? Yeah, yeah, we'll get there. Like, the, God, the, there's this... Re- the moment he sees the cable is so amazing because the re- reaction of the character... Because the reaction of the characters was the same reaction I had, which is Saeed just sort of... It just kind of catches his eye that he sees this cable and he just flips the hell out and yeah. just... The music kicks in, yeah. and then he's grabbing this cable. And he's following it into the into the into the jungle, and you're as if you're going like, yeah, yeah, find that fucking cable. Like, where the hell? What is a cable doing on an island? And it's just one of those moments where the viewer and the character are experiencing the exact same emotion. You, you never get that that satisfaction out of Lost of when you see something, and then someone's like, I'm going to get to the bottom of this right now. Yeah, like, no, I'm going to follow that cable. Like, yeah. uh, you, you would. You normally the show would have a moment like that, and then they get knocked out. It's like, oh fuck! Yeah, follow the cable. Tell someone else about the cable. Right? Yeah, there's like a, a romantic interest walks into the scene or something. Um, so he immediately. Then of course you don't get any satisfaction because he immediately gets caught in a trap. Right. Um, and uh, uh, wakes up in uh, uh, this woman's uh, like hut on the island. You find out the woman is named Rousseau, and she's asking him, um, uh, do you, who, where is Alex, over and over. Um, later at the end, you, you find out Alex is her, her child. 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 That, her is child. All, that, is all, that is all we know, all we know. so far. And there was another person in her party who she killed. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, her lover. I don't know if it's established if it's her husband or not. Yeah, but I don't like think they, we, I can't remember what they say about that. She, well, yeah, uh, we're getting a little, maybe a little ahead, but... Um, like one of the things that's interesting about like Saeed being the one that goes out and does this is that he's a soldier, and so mm-hmm. then he is then uniquely capable of like identifying these tra- like he's been to a war zone, so um you know he notices that he doesn't think he's caught in a trap, he gets caught like in an elaborate trap like mm-hmm. where there are different trip wires, and then you know when he gets strung up by the rope, then there are big sticks, sharp sticks hanging out, one of them which stabs him. 
uh, and then he passes out uh, seemingly for a number of hours before he's yeah. captured by Rousseau uh, and sort of dra- dragged off and tied to a uh, like a, a, a mattress that <laughs> like electric so electroshock. What, so you know, so what do we? So there's not. I mean, it's not a, a super eventful. Like not a, so much happens in the in that while he's captive. Rousseau at one point gives him like a weird uh, drug, like an injection of something. We we don't know what it is, but he passes out, I guess, from that. Well, yeah, there's a moment when uh, Rousseau and uh, Saeed are kind of having a moment where Saeed's explaining sort of the history of Nadia and stuff like that. And as an aside, I thought it was really brilliant how all that stuff ties. Like he's talking about Nadia while we are then going to flashbacks. Like it's brilliant in the way they – intertwine that stuff because it never feels forced like it's it was it's one of the best handled flashbacks of the way that what how you you see how he's talking about it in the present plays off of what actually happened in the past yeah. and it, it's playing with your expectations written by david fury so not, not a surprise like yeah. he's one of the, the the best writers in in season one for sure uh, awesome really good well-handled flashback um and also a great, just a thematic twist of like last week Sawyer is torturing, or God, uh, Saeed is torturing Sawyer. <laughs> is my uh, I, I'm going to take a sip of this LaCroix every time you do that. Uh, I can't stop doing it. Uh, and then he kind of goes off on his soul journey. And I feel like to some extent he gets exactly what he wants, which is someone's going to torture him and then he can not feel so bad about himself. Yeah, um, that was, a, that was a little bit of, uh, uh, <clears throat> you know, because Jack has a conversation with uh, Kate about, uh, Saeed being out there and, and you know Jack says well he'll come back when he finds what he's looking for and essentially he's looking for redemption uh, for sort of violating his code of ethics that he's kind of uh, adopted in the last couple of years I guess we're not really sure of the timeline of what's happening in his flashbacks but uh, nonetheless yeah they yeah just all the I guess I remember Saeed episodes having worse green screen, so I think it's a different Saeed episode that has really bad green screen. This, this I was looking for it too, and it was this was fine. It's a different, it's a different episode, but there is there is one where it's just the green screen is so bad. Yeah, but, it's it's a terrible chroma key, mm-hmm. like all keyed out yep. uh, green screen. Um, so then what happens? So Saeed uh, at one point Rousseau goes out to go shoot a polar bear. And uh, Saeed uh, grabs a gun that was left in the hut and uh, tracks her down and surprises her with the gun. Well, before that, we we learn like some really we learn a little bit about her backstory. Um, oh, so, so yeah, uh, in which that he asked like, well, how did you arrive on this island? Oh, and right. so that's right. Uh, she was part of a uh, research team uh, that uh, they don't say exactly what they were researching. There's an interesting aside about that that we will have in spoiler chat because they cut. They cut a line from the script that the network didn't like because they wanted to avoid the show. They didn't want to portray the show as like a nerdy science fiction show. They wanted to portray it like the, as this character drama on this island. And the specific line they cut, I don't want to reference it because it will it has giant implications for what happens later in the show. And I don't want to spoil that those reveals for for people uh, quite yet. But uh, so we don't know what they're researching. And then they. Uh, she mentions at one point that the all their uh, equipment malfunctions. They hit a storm. They hit some rocks. The hull cannot be repaired, and they decide to start uh, hanging out on the island, hoping. I guess they it, it, the way she makes it sound was that they gave up pretty quickly on any hope of like getting off. Like they didn't. They kind of just started settling down, and um, I guess they were in. 
they were there for two months before she says they started getting sick. And that's sort of this like sensual thing that she goes back to over and over is they got sick. They yeah, got so sick. This is, so this is when – so Saeed comes up behind her with the gun. You find out that she has outsmarted him again and took the firing pin out of the gun, and that's how she killed her uh, partner on the island. And then she gets this monologue, which is like – this. Will, I mean, I will never forget this. This is one of the all-time like creepiest moments of Lost – but she says, we went to the, the Black Rock, and when we came, and it, it killed them all. And Saeed goes, what killed them all? And she goes, it was them. They were the carriers, the others. Yeah. And she goes, I can still, like, hear their whispers. Yeah. So, I mean, there's so much there. And it was like, what the, I was like, when I saw that what, the first time, I was like, what the hell is going on on this island? And what's also great about it is that they contextualize and deliver sort of this additional exposition for the island through the voice of a seemingly a crazy person. Not, so you don't, not you have, a reliable narrator. You have, yeah, you have yeah. no idea whether you're supposed to be taking her seriously. And even Saeed, uh, and I love that he sort of just addresses it head on because a lot of the stuff in Lost is just taken at face value and not discussed, and it's left for the viewer to do that. But when she mentions uh, the whispers, uh, she has, like, she looks at Saeed and realizes that he is not taking her seriously. And, you know, Saeed's response is, like, I, I think you've been alone for a very, very long time or too long or, or something mm-hmm, along those mm-hmm. lines. And it's really interesting because you get excited because you get the cable. Now there's another person on this island. They've been here for a while. Where is this power coming from? Wait, she's doing the transmission from somewhere different? And, like, your immediate life start, your mind is starting to warp on what could possibly be on this island. But it's all filtered through a person but, that you cannot you trust get, what they're telling you. And then you. you get this other – you get the black rock. Like, what a – He does great- at least I, – I love – because, again, Lost was so bad and frustrating and not just having characters address basic questions that anyone would ask. But at least Saeed goes like, what is the Black Rock? Like, and it's like, okay, at least you vocalized it, right? Because, yeah. yeah, you as the, you as the viewer are going like, but fuck yeah, Saeed, what is the Black Rock? What a great – I mean, even just a great name of like a creepy, mysterious thing on an island, the Black Rock. Like you just want to know what that is. Uh, and then you find out there's the Others – which are like, are they real? Did she hallucinate them? And they're carriers, and you see her excited. You see her give Saeed this injection. You're like, she, she gives refers the, to the sickness. Yeah, she, uh, the injection is later revealed to just be about moving him because she asks. Oh, it uh, is. She, oh, she asks if he could repair a music box. Like oh. that's like that's what initiates. Uh, you know, I didn't catch that. Yeah, okay. that's what initiates initiates um, Rousseau and Saeed sort of like really chatting. Creeped me out about that. I always. Thought the sickness was a was a would be a major thing in Lost. Um, it's one of the plot points they sort of. Well, yeah, I don't want to get too much into what they do and don't do, but it's it's it is mentioned a lot early on and is one of the you know plots they kind of just sort of. Yeah, but it was just one of the ones. I mean, there's a they're throwing a lot of stuff out, and yeah. that was just one of the ones that when I saw when I remember watching Lost the first time, I was like, "This is the th- this is it, like, right? This is the sickness is what we're." Right, what we're here for, like that's the main mystery or whatever. Yeah, and, and, and yeah, you know, probably from the writer's perspective, they're throwing a lot at the wall and seeing yeah. what the audience responds to, what the writers respond to creatively. So, you know, not to say that like all threads are dropped from things like this, but th- th- we're at a time in the creative a- arc of the show in which the writers themselves are still figuring out, you know, what sort of paths they want to explore, but. But yeah, just in you know the idea that they've been there for I think she says six sixteen years, right? That's what Syed ends up saying. Um, but it's like, where's this other like if this radio is being transmitted somewhere else? Like, wait, there's like another building. Like, why is with the 
Yeah. So, so real, and then we should we should pretty quickly go get to Saeed's uh, backstory. So you see him uh, in uh, Iraq, and he's a torturer, um, and he eventually gets assigned to torture and get information from. He's really good at it, right? Like, so that's part of like what they're setting up in the backstory right. is that Saeed's a bad man. Yes. He is very good at his job, which is, you know, he's a communications officer, but. A lot of that involves uh, torturing people, and, and when you when you see him torturing the first guy, like he doesn't seem particularly disturbed or moved by it. It's just no business. It's his work jo- yeah. Him. This is yeah. his job. This is what he does. He's very good at it, and he's you know he's complimented by his superior officer at how efficient he is and how he handles himself in these situations. Like he comes across as a bad dude. Like yeah. he is a bad bad guy, which is obviously you know again like that's why the backstory works so well. Not only because it introduces Nadia and a love interest for for him and like kind of flushes out his backstory, but it's such a contrast to the character on the island who is sort of a reformed like ethicist and like has like really having trouble reconciling what he is good at and how much that comes to define him uh, versus what he thinks he sort of should be uh, and, w- and what his role should be. Um, so he eventually gets assigned to torture a woman named Nadia. Uh, this is the woman who. You see in the pilot, I think he gets he finds a photo of There's her. There's a photo, and that one of the trivia bits we got was that the woman in, or the when they shot the scene where they you first see the photo, uh, it was a different woman than the, who they actually ended up casting as Nadia. Oh, so they went back and like either digitally altered or reshot it with like you know a headshot of the woman they ended up casting because they just hadn't gotten that far when they were shooting the pilot. But uh, yeah, it's clearly someone that he cares about very much. And in this episode, we actually learn. Why? So there's there's a number of scenes where he's trying to torture her and get information. Um, he's trying to, to be nice to her. He's threatening her. He's kind of doing all does of that. Does he actually end up hurting her? Or is it does he actually end up doing that? Because the, uh, the first scene with him and her ends... Uh, I think it's implied that he does. That he does. But I, I think it's because he says, I'm going to hurt you, and then we cut back to the island stuff, and then we kind of fast forward a little awkwardly in time it, it to be, it may be one of these it might be ambiguous because i in my imagination i think he does but i can't remember if i don't think you see it in the episode but she is extreme she's very brave like in the face of being tortured and they they have this this clearly uh, i don't know if they're in love with each other but they have this very respectful relationship to each other she, it sounds like she has been in love with him for a long yeah. period of time and he's never really shown her the the time of day they were childhood friends um there's like a in that initial scene where we're told that she used to pick on saeed when he was a kid and right. that she said well it was a sign of affection and he did not interpret being thrown in the dirt to be a sign <laughs> of yeah. affection um and yeah i want i yeah I, I i wonder if he he hurt her or not i guess not probably not but it's set up that like the, what gets Saeed to start questioning everything about what he's doing is when she walks through how she's been tortured in the past. They put uh, a drill through her hand. They flayed off the skin on her feet. They poured acid on her chest. And it's implied that she was innocent, you know, for whatever she was being interrogated for. Um, but she's sort of come to terms with it and says, Saeed, just, you know, kind of do your worst. But that begins Saeed to start questioning sort of everything that he's been a part of. Yeah. So ultimately he helps her escape and uh, he has to kill another guard. And so he shoots himself with the gun so he won't be implicated in the escape and gives her the gun. Uh, and that was a cool moment, too, because you earlier, Rousseau sort of pulls up his shirt and you see the uh, the bullet wound. Oh, right. I'm pretty sure that's the same bullet wound. Um, maybe, I'm, maybe I could be wrong about that. Mm. But uh, I thought that was just a nice connection of, like, yeah. 
oh, here's how he got shot. Um, and then she she does escape, and uh, I think that's that's the end of the flashback. But um, yeah, really, pretty pretty like affecting good flashback, and and a such a such a smart just reversal of roles of like that you're seeing that that what triggers the flashback is him being tortured, right up to the electric uh, bed thing, and uh, or it's him being you know get, yeah getting a taste of his own medicine, like he yeah. he just you know did something uh, awful to Sawyer who. You know, while bad on his own, did not deserve it, and then suddenly he finds himself in a situation uh, that. And it's interesting. The implication is that you know she has done this before. She has a room set up with the ability to torture people for a reason, uh, and then your mind starts wondering like why, like you know. And she's asking, "Where is Alex? Where is Alex?" Which right. means she's, got, she's, she's, got all these, she's asking about she's her. She's got all tra- these traps. She's got that. She took the pin out of the gun. Right. It's like just the general paranoia. It makes you feel like she is ready to fight a war with people, which does not comport with everything we've seen about the island so far. Right. So it just it it that was the thing that that is the crazy thing where it's like she's clearly slightly out of her mind, but there may be there must be something there. Like right. There are grains of truth. She is not like yeah. just plainly schizophrenic. Right. Like there. are there's something happening here. And, you know, not to jump all the way to the end, but then that's, like, the fun stinger mm-hmm. of, of the episode is that Saeed briefly hears uh, the monster noise and then starts hearing whispers. Now, what did you make of the whispers early on in Lost when you, when you were... Oh, it was one of my, it was one of my favorite just sort of, like, what the fuck is it? What the fuck are these whispers? Like, I, I couldn't, you know... I was like, well, is it practical? Like, are there just speakers all throughout the island and they're just, they're just pumping in? Weird noises? Are there... I never... I don't know if there were ever any early theories that I really bought into. I couldn't quite figure out what the whispers I, could I be. I always felt like the whispers were the others, and I felt like that was the th- because Rousseau... Right, yeah. Rousseau links them, right? She says, the, I can still hear them, meaning the others she refers to. I can hear the whispers or you know, something to that effect. I guess I thought it was the monster. I guess I figured it was just, at that point, you, you don't know the full extent of oh, whatever man. that I, thing is. I was so sure it was the others, and that, that because I just linked them because Rousseau said it, and then I was like, oh, if there's the whispers, that means there really are other people. And I figured they were just, they were some sort of, you could hear them talking to each other, and they were just uh, like... I don't know, native people or like really advanced and they were in camouflage and they were hiding or they were in the trees. Oh, you see how they were actually nearby. Like that. Right. It, okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and pulling all the strings, manipulating everything. I, I mean, you know, that, that really, and then I thought the whispers are like just them talking to each other. So it means that they're, you know, they're watching you or they're following you or whatever. Yeah, I could see that. I, I'm pretty sure I, I was just, I thought that was just a weird tactic of the creature. Um, but, uh, yeah, they do, they do explore, what the the whispers are later in the show, but it was one of my favorite sort of early like what the fuck is <laughs> going on in this show like were whispers like other people they kidnapped Alex who is Alex wait there are other people on this island who are they like yeah I guess because all you can really the, the the painting that she sort of sketches is that there are like crazy primitive people on this island right like maybe that is like what you're going to be contending with is just like a bunch of crazy natives because uh, that's kind of all you really get uh, from from what she says. Um, all right, so the the B story this week, um, you kind of get right in the beginning. So right after Sawyer finds the cord, and it's like immediately you're jumping right back into the this Jack Sawyer Kate love triangle story, um, and it's just a great the first great character moment of like after last week, and you see this huge 
up and downs for Sawyer. He's still holding. He's still rubbing it into Jack that yeah. Kate first likes thing. him. Yeah, it's like immediately you're like, oh. I was like, I was like, come on, man. I was just ready to like get, to like you again, and you're just being a turd about it. Um, but uh, then that pretty gives pretty much quickly gives way to the the main story, the main like B story, which is that Hurley is going to build a, a golf course. So he sort of opens up uh, with him like running around. He finds the golf clubs, I guess, and he's sort of running around getting all the pieces and parts to build this thing. Well, yeah, like he uh, he discovers uh, the the golf clubs when we are introduced to a new character, Ethan, who is not developed in this episode, but right. keep your eye on that guy. Uh, and um, it, it's it's an interesting moment because Hurley points out like this really important fact is that if we're going to be here forever, it's not just enough that we live day to day. And I, it's just such a great moment when he's running around setting it up and then reveals the first ever so you and this... hopefully last island open. It's just like, oh, that's... Any Hurley moments are like pure gold in the early part of the first season. But like when it, that scene where it's um, uh, there's a couple of scenes, but it's like when it's a Hurley, Ethan, Locke, they have this great conversation, um, and then later it's like Hurley, Michael, Charlie, and Jack, and he, Hurley's kind of pitching the golf course to them after he's built it, and he just goes, "Dudes, listen, our lives suck. <laughs> what a just a great like it's he's just he's such a good proxy for the viewer. He's such a good like everyman." Um, and then he's like, we're, we're like running from this monster and these polar bears. And then there's another great, Oh God. Yeah. That exchange. Michael goes polar bears. And Charlie goes, you didn't hear about the polar bear, (laughs) which is, which is the, the, the show sort of meta comment commenting on the fact that people just don't share enough information. Like, and I love when the show kind of pokes it fun at itself, uh, which is like, it doesn't share that information because they want to set up moments and they want the characters not have all the information. But yeah, it's like. Yeah, all right, there is a polar bear on this island. Yeah, we get two polar bear references because yeah. there's the Rousseau goes out to hunt the polar bears. But, um, I mean, yeah, there's, I mean, that was one of the other, that was one of my other, my, my other note cards is just like so much of the mythology and the big mysteries are like, they're, this is an episode about like defining all the big mysteries that you want to know about. So they're talking about the polar bears. Um, they're building new characters, so you get to meet Ethan, who's going to turn out to be a very important character in the show, um, and he's introduced as a guy who has some hunting skills. Um, you Obviously, you meet Rousseau, and you see the cable coming out of the ocean. You hear about the others. You hear about the Black Rock. You hear about the Whispers. You see the... the well, for me, I always thought the, the fact that the shot was some sort of related to the sickness, mm-hmm. but I guess that makes sense that it was just a sedative. But you hear about the sickness. Right. Like, there's all of these mysteries and all of this world building. Just a huge, just a big, big episode for that. And, and it sets up a lot. It also makes it like this island has history, right? Mm-hmm. Like there, there's more than just we have come here and now it's our story. It's like, no, this island has a story and teasing out and finding out what that stuff is going to be, like is going to be a huge part. You know, it sets it up like, this is where we're like. This is where we're going with the show. Like, it's, and it, probably, I would say more than I haven't really thought this through, but off the top of my head, more than any other episode, other than the premiere of season two, this is the episode where you get the most in a single episode. Probably, yeah. They, I mean, they are giving you a, a lot of new stuff to chew on in this episode, and it's done so really elegantly. Like, I don't. It, 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 it's not like an exposition drop. It's not. It's just like a character shows up and is like. 
here's a bunch of information about yeah. that. Like it's really neatly tied into like a personal story that also serves as an exposition drop for the mythology, but isn't just a character staring at the screen going X, Y, and Z. Well, that's why it's so tantalizing because it's not spoon fed to you. You really have to, it's like all of those little moments of learning something are so well earned in the story. Yeah, like every couple of minutes you're going like, wait, what? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the it's not in this episode too. What's what's so cool about it is it's not like the characters are boring. Like it's not like the other parts that aren't these mysteries are boring. Like the whole thing works really well. As a oh, we also see a map of the island. Like um, oh, yeah, that's right. Which is I don't know if it's uh, it must be intentional, but it's one of the first instances that I can remember where the show starts catering to the screen grab community essentially. Mm-hmm. Which is and the show gets really into this as it goes on, but where there are one-off shots that are not meant for you as the viewer to take in too much, but that you're meant to go back and then look at it and see what you can glean from it. So we, we see that she has done what Saeed wanted to do, which was to map out the island to get a sense of how big it is. Um, and I don't know if there's any information in there other than just here's a look at the island and its general structure, but we at least have a defined idea of... And it, it leads into that whole world-building idea. Is like they're... We're learning more about what's on the island, and now you also know in your head what the island looks like. The 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 depth of the island is now in a physical form uh, given to you, which at least allows you to start wrapping your head around like where things are, where like where characters are in relation to other characters. Uh, and, and in terms of that, uh, it's it's really important. Um, so the last thing I wrote down about this episode was there was um. The, well, actually, we should talk about the Sawyer subplot really quickly, and then I wanted to talk about the, the Michael subplot because there's some interesting mm-hmm. character development with like him and Walt. But the Sawyer subplot, it's mostly about Sawyer being... I mean, it plays into the episode title, Solitary, and it's about Sawyer being an outcast and being an outsider in the group and ultimately just taking this very small step to come forward and then Kate kind of putting herself on the line to invite him into the group by taking his bet on the golf course. Um, but I just thought it was a really ni- it was a really really nice parallel with Rousseau of like seeing the consequences of being an outsider from everyone, right? The consequences of being solitary, and there's even you know it's like it's such the the, the first time when you're hearing the music box, it, it actually starts playing over the conversation where Kate and Sawyer, mm. are, where she says one advice from one outsider to another. Um, you, it, that scene ends with the with a little bit of the music box, and then it kind of cuts to Rousseau. So it's just drawing that that theme, I think, pretty clearly to the stakes for Sawyer of like becoming a better person. Are he's going to wind up like Rousseau, like living alone in this jungle, and no one's going to want anything to do with him. Right. Um, okay. So the final thing was the the Michael subplot. So the first time you see Michael in this episode, it's probably like his best single moment in the whole series to date <laughs> where he's built this bamboo aqueduct. Mm-hmm. It seems, what's your feeling of that? Cause it, it seems sort of like, like, uh, impra- like kind of crazy or impractical to me, but, but I don't know. But I, well, I think, I think that's, that's, I mean, that's kind of like Jack's response. Like Jack kind of responds how use the viewer kind of responds. Like I think it adds a lot of depth to Michael who has come across as one note and, uh, kind of stupid and like, very quick to anger and not particularly he seems to be struggling with the idea of being a parent um but it's like there's the moment with the the cave-in where you you know they start to tease out that he's an architect or you know was an artist and works construction and this is like a very practical application of his skills like he's going to invent showers for people but you know it's also i think in line with 
what Hurley is saying is like we need like some sense of normality and like normality involves like being able to take a shower and like being able to blow off some steam. Um, so I, I think I think it just kind of thematically falls in line with all of that stuff and, and in in line with their idea that they are finding new ways to dig in. Um, but his character pretty quickly takes like a deep dive into just being a total piece of shit with yep. his relationship with Walt uh, later. So you see Walt sort of wandering up to the golf course going like, Dad, why did you like leave me alone on the beach? And he's like, oh, sorry, I forgot I was playing golf. And then he goes, uh, hey, do you want to play? And Walt goes, no, no, that's okay. There's people in line. And then Hurley or so whoever's in charge goes, okay, Michael, you're up. And he there's no one in line. It's his turn. He should have given the club to Walt and like let him gone. But he just, he's like, sorry, I got to go. Yeah. And he goes and takes a swing. And then later you see Walt go and meet up with Locke. And as much as I love Locke and the Locke character in what appears to be a supremely irresponsible <laughs> moment, he has this huge knife. It's like as big as he is. And it's just, he's just sort of like holding it and running his finger across it. And that's sort of how that ends. Um, as much as I love Locke and I would love to see like a, a Locke Walt uh, buddy comedy where he like you know teaches him to be his apprentice or whatever like you you know it's going to piss off Michael and it's probably not the most responsible pairing on the island. No, 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 and you could see why Locke would do it. I mean, he's a bit of a you know he's kind of a rogue. He's kind of does his own thing. He's very independent. He I think sees a little bit in Walt that he's very constricted by what his father does and doesn't allow him to do. So for for Locke, he maybe sees a little bit of an, an ability to sort of impart some freedom uh, to Walt. Um, and I think they actually get into, you know, later on we'll talk about, you know, Locke's theory on that a little bit. But obviously, yeah, it is basically just setting up for Michael to get super, super pissed. Um, all right. Do you want to do some quick uh, lost trivia? Let's yeah. Let's do some good ones this week. Yeah. Ba, 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 ba. Uh, okay, so these are, uh, once again, sort of thanks to uh, Lostpedia and also IMDb. Um, so uh, Rousseau asks uh, Saeed where Alex is when like, in the, he's kind of like coming out of his, his haze after he had uh, been strung up in the tree. And uh, she speaks five different languages, English, German, Spanish, Italian, and French, wow. um, in order to, I guess, sort of suss out maybe what, uh, what language uh, Saeed uh, speaks. Um, Jorge Garcia, who plays Hurley, um, on his podcast, Geronimo Jack's Beard, which was running, I believe, as Lost was in production and kind of served as a uh, sort of like tidbits and trivia sort of thing. Uh, so Jorge mentioned uh, that uh, many of the Hurley and Charlie scenes on the golf course were improvised as opposed to being explicitly in the script. And those moments are really funny, too, like when Jack is setting up for his shot and the two of them are just dancing over by the hole. Uh, I really enjoyed all those moments. Um but this episode had the production number 108, while the following episode, raised by another, had the production number 107. It was confirmed by the producers of the show that the episodes were written in that order and the ending scenes were re-edited when they decided to switch the order. Um, I'm going to skip the next one because that's the one we'll, have, we'll talk about in spoiler chat. But uh, the final one is that uh, Danielle uh, Rousseau uh, tells Saeed that uh, her vessel was three days out of Tahiti when a storm broke and they crashed. Uh, that would place the island somewhere due east of Australia. So it kind of gives you a sense of the geography of of the island. Um, although, obviously, there are weird things going on. So who knows how reliable that is. All right. Um, so next week we are watching episode nine of Lost, Raised by Another. Um, this is the first Claire episode. Um, 
I don't remember a lot about this one. I don't. It I probably has to do with I her baby. The, yeah, I remember the plot arc that it's part of, but I don't specifically remember what happens in this one. Nope. Um, I remember the flashback being pretty creepy, though. Do you remember the first Claire flashback? It's got a very so. creepy, mysterious moment in it. Um, so I think next week we're probably going to be oh, doing... Oh, yeah! I, I would guess based on that we're going to be doing some uh, spoiler chat after the episode. Um, all right, so the show notes for this episode are available at rewatchpodcast.com. We've got some good stuff this week. We have the Lost Tattoo. We've got the Philosophy Bro uh, links. As always, you can email us your questions or comments at rewatchpodcast at gmail.com. I think we've got a new thing, do we? We do. We have a voicemail number. Um, we, we have some Google Voice, so if you want to leave... Um, some voicemails we uh, can play some of those uh, on the air and answer your questions and or if you just want to bring some comments uh, feel free to do that as well but the number is 872-222-6753 it's 872-222-6753 um, and uh, I guess if you if you want to leave something and you don't want it aired make sure and make that explicit otherwise anything that you leave um you know, we might do something. Don't leave us a long rambling message. No one wants to listen to that. Be, no. be punchy. Give us yeah. something good. Yeah, if you want to write good. something long, which lots of folks have uh, written some really terrific, um, like spoiler clarification emails and other comments that other people have sent in, do that over email. That's just fine. Um, but if we're gonna actually play it on the air, you know, try and keep it to about thirty seconds. Yeah, give us give us a tweet, not a not yeah. an essay. All right. Um, Let's do our thank yous. Thank you to Steve Fabwash Kim for our artwork. Thanks to Dose One for our theme music. You can check out his work, including his ringtone of the month, at doseone.bandcamp.com. Thanks to Lex Friedman and our friends at the Midroll for hooking us up with our sponsorships. Thank you to Igloo for sponsoring us. And thank you to all of you for listening along with us. We'll see you next week. As always, it's very helpful if you leave us a review or subscribe on iTunes. And uh, we'll be back to talk about Raised by Another uh, in a week, in a week, in a week, in a week. Spoiler chat. Spoiler chat. All right, we're going to talk about we've got serious spoilers this week, so don't actually don't listen to this if you haven't seen Lost before. <laughs> I'm really worried that people. Do you think people listen to the spoiler chat who haven't seen Lost before? Be, just because they like leave it on and like what's the harm? Uh, I hope not. I hope not because the reveal, the re, like you know things like the cable moment in this episode, like the reveals are so much fun. Like the, when when Lost sticks the landing on on just the reveal, you know, like the opening to. One of my favorite moments in television, period, or just a, mo- a moment watching, enjoying a thing, is the first five minutes of season two's opener. Ugh. All-time, second, it, second best scene in all of television for me. It's, what's the number one? Number one is a, a West Wing episode where, the, have you seen the West Wing? It's, I've seen the first season. Oh, it's in the okay. end of the second season. Is it a spoiler? Yeah, it's called, okay. it's called Two Cathedrals. Okay. Um, but yeah, like that, those opening moments of season two, I, I don't know if there's another moment in the series where you're, wait a I minute, mean, wait a minute, wait a minute. You what? saw season one of West Wing and you didn't watch anymore? Uh, did you there see was the a lot finale? Out, no. You didn't see the finale? No. Okay. I started, I started watching it, then there was a lot of stuff going on in my personal life, so I just, ne- okay. I just never, I'm got, not, I never got I'm back I'm not going to gonna spoil it, uh-huh. because they actually... I really want to watch it. I okay. love Aaron Sorkin. This is not like spoiling I'd... anything. I pr- it sounds like okay. it is, but it's actually not, okay. because they immediately start the episode with it, mm-hmm. with this scene, but the last line of season one of West Wing is, who's been hit? Who's been hit? Ooh. Oh, wow. So that's why I'm like, how did you... 
Yeah, okay, yeah, no, if I'd gotten that far. No, yeah. I, I watched the majority of season one, but I didn't get okay. all the way. Oh, oh dude, wow. that's so good. I know, it's, it's on my list of, like, okay. it's on Amazon Instant. So it, I, it's I, a, I it's a rare excuse. instance, too, of, like, I love season one of West Wing, like, great, great writing, good moments, good characters, good all around, except for Mandy. But uh, season two far surpasses it. Mm. Season two is, like, a perfect, polished little diamond. I got to watch, okay. I very, very good. That. Um, all right, so the, before we get into our really long email, um, I, I want to mention the piece, piece of trivia. Um, so, like, one of the things a lot of the, like, the creative staff talked about uh, extensively, like, kind of in, uh, in retros, retrospect uh, about the, the show, was that ABC was so, like, if you're, you know, when you read The Lost Treatment, that show Bible, like, they're so explicit in saying, like, this is not going to be a weird show. It's not going to be a weird show. And then it's so clear as the show, like, it's it's being weird like pretty quickly, but it's not super explicit about that, right? Like it's always kind of on the periphery. Um, and uh, so there's this moment where David Fury he did an interview uh, with Lostpedia. So in the first draft of the script, when uh, Rousseau is explaining uh, her research team, uh, she doesn't mention what they were researching. Like that was written. Uh, so uh, when Saeed asked, can I guess? Can I guess? Yeah, I don't know this, but Go I'm going to guess electromagnetism. No time. No! Yeah. Which is such a, like, it gives me goosebumps just uh. in, like, can you imagine if that early in the show they were going to plant the <sighs> seeds of, like... That's so good. Time manipulation? So I had, at some point in the run of Lost, I had convinced myself that Law, that Rousseau and her party were from, like, a different era of time. Sure, yeah. I've convinced myself that they were, like, you know, you know, 1800s and they had mm-hmm. somehow wound up on the current island. Oh, like if he was, if she was to ask Saeed, like what year is it? Right. He'd be, he'd be like 200 years. I don't know off. where, what cued me into that, but I, at some point I could convince myself that that was, that was uh-huh. maybe what was going on with Rousseau and it never, it didn't pan out, but man, that would have driven me insane if she had said time. Right. Cause you know that they probably then wouldn't have addressed it for a long, long time, but it would have planted a seed that the show was going to go to some, like really weird places, you know, electromagnetism becomes like a huge, uh, you know, that's what brought down the I wonder Oceanic A15. if I would feel how much differently about Lost I would feel if that line was left in the script, in the, you know, what Right, because, well, I think what it, what it does is it, it would have made, like, I like all the stuff that the show eventually does with, like, time travel. I thought it was, like, fun and it was really good creative shakeup. But yeah, it maybe would have made, it certainly would have, been one of those moments you can look back and point at and like, oh, like, they, you know, they may not have known exactly what they were doing, but like, they knew they were going to possibly go to places like that at one point. Yes. And God, it just, it, it would have been kind of like the cable. Like, if she just like nonchalantly just says like they were researching time, like just the amount of possibilities that start yeah. like firing it's off like in your when, head. Then the first time you actually see time travel and lost, you're, you wouldn't be like, oh, they're going to do this now. Great. Right. Yeah, we're going to do this. Great. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, Dave Fury says it was removed because... ABC said that's too explicitly sci-fi, and uh, so they ended up cutting it. Uh, but I think, I don't know, I think it would have been easy to think of the show radically differently at that moment when you don't know where the show is going if they had mentioned that time research was going on. I don't know. I, th- I, I loved that little, that little bit. Really good. Um, okay, so we got, um, a, I'm trying to think what we should talk about. I, I wanted to ask about the sickness. Did you, what, what happened, what the hell happened with that? Was it, so I remember in the hatch, they're taking injections, right? Which mm-hmm. you assume is like also part of the sickness. 
Um, and they wear the clean suits, right? Hume yep. has the clean suit when he's like out of the um, the hatch. Well, he was to- yeah, he was told like that was part of his whole thing. Right, you he, can't leave because can't there's leave. the sickness. Right, like right. that was like that's an early big character moment for Desmond where he realizes like oh, like you can go outside. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's right. Um, okay, I'm reading. Okay, so I'm reading on Lostpedia. Um, the sickness. The sickness manifested as a severe mental change on the part of the afflicted. One apparent sufferer, Robert, who is uh, Rousseau's uh, lover, uh, suddenly and uncharacteristically attempted to kill his fiance. Claire, post-infection, became a mentally unstable murderer and cradled a boar skull as a baby. Oh, I forgot that whole fucking awful arc with Claire. They ruined Claire as a character in that show. That the was why. Worst. So that was why I thought the whispers were so important too. Because in season two, Claire just disappears. There's like the whispers, and they get lost, and then Claire's gone. Crazy Claire was the uh, yeah. Uh, earlier, jungle hermit Danielle Rousseau acted similarly, though she claimed to be the only expedition member to escape the sickness. Danielle killed. All the other members of the expedition and several other characters described her as insane. Saeed after his infection. Oh, Saeed after his... In- oh, right. Okay, so this is all season six stuff when, like, they do return to the sickness. Like, remember, remember when Saeed becomes, like, kind of robotic and weird? They oh, ha- is that they, like... No, he dies, and they put him in the pool, and then he comes out of the pool, and he comes back to life, but he's not himself. Or... Yeah, okay, so infection methods. Members of Danielle's team contract the sickness after exploring below the temple, uh, an area the man in black had just entered. And the smoke monster once similarly tried to drag Locke underground. Side contracted the sickness after... Wait, Locke has it? No, it's just the smoke monster once tried to drag Locke underground, I think, to make him sick. I wonder if being sick like puts you under the... Control of the the man in black. So Saeed contracted the sickness after dying. In the I don't like this one bit. Uh, he's resurrected soon after and credited the man in black. Claire's moment of infection is less clear. Interestingly, all individuals known to be infected have been sent. Have, it's occurred on the temple grounds. Saeed was at the temple spring. Members of the expedition, I assume that's Rousseau, uh, were dragged into the tunnels within the boundary of the temple. The only exception is Claire because how or she was infected is not known. But it is a possibility that infection can only occur at the temple. Uh, Danielle, who thought the sickness was a literal sickness, thought the others transmitted it, calling them carriers. I'm still not super clear. I don't think they know what they're talking about. It was just the I, was the sickness the same thing as that they couldn't have babies, but then some people could. But says so the series referenced a number of sicknesses unconnected with the Man in Black. So I don't. It seems like an extension of the Man in Black's powers, like a, a way of being able to manipulate you. I'm oh, yeah, the man in black infected certain residents of the island with a sickness that altered their personality. By claiming them in this manner, he recruited them as followers. I'm not super excited about that. Yeah. I'm getting tired of that as the explanation for everything we can't remember how it ended. Oh, the man in black did it. Oh, it's, it's part of his powers. powers. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, that's the show ran into that problem a lot. It was like when they... When it wanted, when it had to start connecting, that like people wanted answers, but it's like, it's why I always gave the show such a long leash on that stuff. It was like I, answer, you know answers are not on one, usually on this fun. one. It just it would not have been so hard for them to say. Turns out we don't want there to be a sickness. It was just Rousseau, and she was crazy, and sure. she killed everyone. Right? Why not? But it's like I don't know. Anyway, all right. Let's move on to something satisfying. So, uh, rewatch podcast superfan Sarah wrote us the best email we've ever received. I'm, I'm gonna—it's pretty lengthy, so I'll try and jump through it quickly. But 
it answers like all of our questions from last week about the others <laughs> in an incredibly well organized and satisfying okay. way. Okay, all right, this let's was do it. like best email of all time. It was worth doing the podcast just to get this email from Sarah. Okay, she says she writes. This is everything I'm going to say is from her. Uh, Sarah says. You guys are having trouble with who the others are. I feel like it's hard to keep track of exactly who they are because they keep moving around like you pointed out. And also, to this day, the magic box thing still rubs me the wrong way. What's it a metaphor for? Why does Ben make it up? Thank you, Sarah. I agree with you 100%. I'm right there with you. Uh, Okay, back to Sarah again. As far as I understand it, the others do, in fact, predate Dharma. Hmm. During season five and all of the time jumps, we see groups of the others in all the different times. Right. They work for Jacob. In other words, they worship and listen to him. Even a very small fraction of Dharma merges with the others. Oh, sorry. Eventually, a very small fraction of Dharma merges with the others. Ben and Ethan, they were Dharma, not originally others. Ethan was born on the island um, to Horace and Amy following the purge. The others are the natural inhabitants of the Mm. island. They are the ones who work directly with Ben, and they are the temple others. And then there are the temple others who follow the command of Dogen in the temple. So there's sort of two groups of others. Yeah. There's Ben's others and Dogen's others. The major difference between Widmore and Ben is that Widmore was born on the island, and he is and always will be a part of the other group. Ben was brought to the island by his alcoholic single father during the Dharma Initiative, and he joined the others when he signed on with Richard Alpert to make the purge happen. Then he became an other. Somewhere in the timeline, he got control and kicked out Widmore. Um, because he had been regularly visiting the island and a separate family back in the real world. Ultimately, the others are the island's original inhabitants. And across the sea, the man in black leaves Jacob and mother to be with a small to be with a group of people who live elsewhere on the island. Right. Those are the others. They are around way back then. They are not the leader type. They follow whoever is placed in front of them. Jacob, Richard, Widmore, Ben, Locke, eventually Hurley. They're also not necessarily the bad guys. Their leaders are often corrupt or bad. They do what they're told. They even accept some of the oceanic survivors into their group, the flight attendant and the kids. Um, And then a couple of other things, which answers literally all of our other questions. This is all still from Sarah. Jack does not amputate Boone's leg. He wants to, but Son eventually convinces him not Mm -hmm. to. He he wants to fix things, and cutting off the leg won't fix him. And that's a big character step when he just lets him die. Ben doesn't talk to Jacob. Jacob never reveals himself to Ben until the interaction when Ben kills him. Ben talks to... Wait, and then... Ben kills Jacob. That's right. And then does Hurley become the new ben, uh, Jacob? Is that the deal? That well, that happens at the end in the finale yeah, when they they're sipping the water. That's right. Okay. Um, ben talks to Richard, who is the middleman between Ben and Jacob. Right. So Richard is is really the, the actual conduit, the main mover. Yeah. As far as missing body parts go, another one is the smoke monster rips off the arm of someone in Rousseau's team when you see them attacked in the temple. Um, yeah. What a good email. That answers all of my questions. Yeah. And, and it's a very satisfying. It's what I wanted the others to be, which is like an ancient people that had a connection through all of the history of the island. I wanted that, and it, and it was. I just had trouble piecing it all together. Right. But that, but, yeah, that all makes sense in retrospect. And um, did they build the uh, the three toed statue? Yes. Yeah. So it's so this must have been. So the way God, I that fucking moment. In yeah. The finale of season one was like. No, um, no, 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 no. Isn't that season one? No, finale of season two? season two. Okay. Yeah, finale um, of season two. God, when you just get that reveal. Because remember, that's when they get captured and put in the cages. Yeah. Um, yeah, so good. 
But it also plays into well, this is how I wanted the others to work in my headcanon or whatever. Is like I just wanted them to be this ancient people, and it ultimately the survived the oceanic survivors. They're just the latest in a series, a long series of people who have come onto this right. island, and the island is like timeless. It's always been there, and it's like it has this long, deep history. And it's like it's at one time, it it's just yeah, the, yeah, the, this, the it, reason, it, it's yeah. not so far from how it worked. But yeah. it's like at one time there were ancient Egyptians there, yep. at one time there were other cultures there, and you know Richard Alpert. And the slave ship and the Black Rock. That was like it just has this history running through it, um, all the way up to Oceanic fifteen, eight fifteen, and they're not special. They're just the latest, you know, shipwreck on this island. Yeah. All right. Any other spoiler chat? Can't think of anything else. Anything else that comes up in the episode? I don't think so. I just yeah. It was it was really exciting to revisit the magic of the island, sort of becoming a much weirder thing and i just i just really love that that cut timeline so much well it's just it's a it's a story that i love and it's great storytelling of that story in this episode like this is one where if i if i'm showing lost to someone i can't wait for them to see this episode because this is one of those big episodes of like it's like this and finding the hatch it's like if you're not in at that point you're you're not cut out for this yeah you might as well leave now yeah and it's and it's, yeah, it's just so elegant in how it handles the mythology, right? It's just, it's, because oftentimes that stuff can be just really blunt or like the, the, the reveals happen or tiny hints that kind of like point at, uh, sort of paint a picture. They're just kind of said and then move on as opposed to like, here's a person instructing you on what's crazy about this island. Like it's, it's just so well done. It's a really, really well written episode. And yeah, it's just, I'm, I'm like, I want to see what happened to Claire, but I'm now I'm all pissed off about it. <laughs> zombie Claire. God, I really hated that arc. The she was so bad at it, too. Like, it was bad acting. It was the, a bad turn for the character. The sickness. It, it was so upsetting, too. I forgot, because they had that, like, there was that group of folks that were, like, running, walking around. It was Saeed. It was Claire. And it was just, like, this contrived reason for the, you know, the oceanic survivors to be split again. And, like, ugh. Yeah, it's a zombie not, Claire. Not good. The sickness in general rubbed me the wrong way, and that Claire plot was no good. Yeah. All right, let's let's wrap up. We'll we'll complain more next week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If there's one. If there's one constant on this show. Get it? 